Life is a struggle for Olivia. She is a single mom. Like many, her marriage dream turned into a nightmare. Prince Charming didn't turn out to be Mr. Forever. She's divorced, works full time, and raises the kids on her own. It is hard to make ends meet and be at everything in her kids' lives. She's tired and perhaps even a bit weary, but she loves Jesus and enjoys her church family. They are her one escape from the realities of life and the community that helps fill her cup and remind her of the hope in Jesus Christ. In thanks, she wants to tithe and give back. She's heard the sermons and is excited about the future of the church and how God is using them to reach their community. But she can't give like others give, and she gives a little. But does her meager gift even matter? Or help? She wants to do more. Um, good to see you this morning. How's everyone doing today? You good? Yeah. Woo! We're here. Uh, thank you for being here at Radiant Church. My name is Ben, and I serve as the privilege, or a privilege of serving as the campus pastor uh, here at Radiant. And so thank you for being a part of what God's doing. Um, hey, how good was that video that we got to watch, that narrative video? Yeah, praise God for that. Um, we had a lot of people, um, we had a lot of people put in a lot of time in order to make that happen. And so I just want to acknowledge, uh, acknowledge you there today. Thank you for all of that. And next week, is the big week. Next week is Commitment Sunday for us at Radiant, the, the Sunday where we come and we, we make our pledges to commit relationally to our ones. And not only that, but commit financially over the next two years, make our financial pledges and commitments to this thing called REACH. I know my wife and I have been praying through that, talking through it. Um, as a matter of fact, I was like, how much should we give to REACH last night? And then uh, she gave a figure, she gave a number, and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, it was like this moment of like, uh, I don't know about that, but okay, we can talk about it. You know what I mean? And so I think maybe a lot of you are in that same boat where you're like wrestling through that. And we just acknowledge that. Thank you for wrestling and praying uh, through what God uh, has put on your heart to give. So I want to begin today, and we have a lot to cover. So I want to begin by talking about uh, Venmo. Any of you guys use Venmo out there? A few of you. I know we use it here and there. Basically, it's an, it's an app on your phone that allows you to give and receive uh, money virtually. And so I remember the first time I saw Venmo, though, my wife showed it to me because I didn't download it. I was behind the times. I was still using PayPal. <laughs> All right. Um, but she showed me this and I was like, is this a money thing or is this like a social media thing? Right. Because there was a list of transactions and people paying other people. And what was weird is you could see that people paid other people and, and for what? Like you could leave a memo line. And I, I remember looking at that, and I got really uncomfortable. I was like, wait, you can, like, see what other people are, like, giving to other people and, and, and stuff? And it made me feel really weird, and I'm not exactly sure why. Um, maybe it's my family of origin. We had kind of, like, a weird private stigma when it comes to money. Like, you don't talk about where money goes or stuff. I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but it was, it was very odd for me, right? But my wife made the comment. And she said, well, it, I feel like it kind of removes the, the weird private stigma that we have around money. I mean, we all make money. We all pay people for money. We receive money. Like, why should it be hidden and weird? And she had a, she had a pretty good point, but I still haven't fully come around to it, right? Because every time I see, like, Sally paid Billy, you know, X amount for you know, and that's the caption, you know, I'm like, what is, no, I don't know. What is that? You know what I mean? <laughs> It just weirds me out, right? Like, thanks for last night. And you're like, I don't know what happened last night. This is just weird. Like, I don't want to know, okay? 
But she makes a good point in that it made me think about the conversation that we have, especially in church when it re revolves around money. There does seem to be this sort of like weirdness around it, this privateness around it, or maybe we just have all sorts of baggage that we bring into the conversation when it comes to giving and the church. And I want to just address that up front and, and share my intentions with us today throughout this sermon. My goal today is to give us a broad look at how Scripture invites the follower of Jesus to give a significant portion of their time, of their talents, and their money back to God. That's my goal today, right? Sermon over, you're dismissed, like, enjoy, right? But that is my goal. I want to be upfront with that today for a couple of reasons. A is to remove some of the stigma. B is just transparency. We need to be more and more transparent when it comes uh, to money and the church. Because I get it, there are all sorts of common objections when it comes to this conversation, when it comes to giving and it comes to the church, right? We hear it all the time. The church only cares about my money. Anyone ever heard that before? A few of us, okay, we hear it. Um, but I just got to say in response to that, I, I sit down with other churches, pastors from other churches regularly, and we aren't talking about money by and large. We're talking about things like the kingdom, and we're talking about shepherding our people we're talking theology and scripture or hobbies. Like we're, the conversation is, is not money. Now, there's one exception. I have, a, I have a friend who pastors a Baptist church. And my running joke with him is like how good Baptists are at, at, at tithing and giving to church, right? And so I joke with him. I'm like, my prayer at Radiant is like, Lord, bring us some Baptists. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, there you are, right? <laughs> I'm really glad you guys laughed at that because that could have gone two ways. But but we don't sit around talking about money. That is not where our heart is at, and I want you to hear that today, and I'm not trying to convince you of that. But the second thing I hear when it comes to this conversation and objection is, is that pastors are shady, or at least the institution of the church, the organized church, is shady when it comes to money. I mean, after all, take a look at this slide right here. It says, pastor steals 130000 from his church to pay off gambling debts? Yikes, right? Like, we should all be alarmed by that. We should all have a healthy amount of, like, criticism for that. That's not okay. That's not kosher. And we've all heard stories of the televangelists that seem to be manipulating, you know, the little old lady to give the, the little income they have to buy luxuries or jets or all sorts of extravagant things. And please hear me. When I hear those stories, I get upset too. I'm with you on this, okay? So I'm just trying to clear the air a little bit and recognize that these, these are not good. But I also just want to be transparent because, like, guys, we are not after your money, right? We, as pastors, are not living in gross luxury, right? Um, my daily driver is, is a Honda. It has 240,000 miles on it, okay? I change my own spark plugs, my air filters, my throttle body cleaning. I do my own transmission, right? Like, it's not about luxury here, okay? And I'm just trying to remove some of the weirdness around this conversation. And I just need to say this. If you are a part of, of a church or you are a part of an organization that, that it did seem like they all, all they cared about was money or you did have some hurt where, where leadership was doing shady dealings or things they shouldn't be, can I just say, I'm so sorry. That should not have happened, okay? We must be open and honest when it comes to this conversation, especially in the church, okay? So again, my goal, broad look at scripture to see what, what God has to say about our money. I want to begin in Genesis chapter 1. Let's start from the very beginning. 
Because I think we see the Father's heart right from the jump. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God creates the whole earth, and he calls it good. Everything that we have. And then this is what happens. Uh, verse 27. So God created mankind, that's us, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So one of the very first thing God does is he blesses human beings and he calls them the image of God. We are the image bearers, the representation of God, and we are the co-rulers with God. He's the ruler, but we co-rule with him. And so right off the jump from some of the very first commandments that God gives humans are to produce fruit to subdue the earth, rule over it. If you're following along, grab your worship guide right now, write this down, there's a few blanks for you. What we see here in Genesis is that from the beginning, humans have a responsibility to steward God's resources. From the very beginning, we are called to steward God's resources. We're reminded, and the psalmist in, in chapter 24 wrote it this way, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Bottom line, who does it belong to? It all belongs to God. He made it. It's his. We just get to steward it. God's like, here you go. I'm going to bless you with it. Enjoy. Rule, subdue, you know, rearrange it, essentially. But it's all God's. He created it. Uh, just a few chapters later, we see this man named Abram. He's sort of considered the father of faith. He's the father of the Israelites who were God's people. And it's interesting, there's this story where he comes across this priest figure named Melchizedek. And his response to Melchizedek is to give a tenth of everything he owns to God through this priest. It's a really interesting story. This priest like comes out of nowhere before even the priesthood is really set up. It's really cool. And then his grandson later, uh, Jacob, he vows to give a tenth of everything he owns. And so before the idea of giving a tenth was even law or anything like that, which we'll get to, there's this notion of giving that amount, giving a percentage of your income back to God out of reverence. And so this is where we get the idea of a tithe. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of tithe. Yep, a lot of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard of this word. Um, a tithe, literally, the definition is a tenth, okay? And so when they were giving a tenth, they were giving their tithe. Now, when Abram gave it, it wasn't law yet, but eventually this became law for the people of God. It became sort of a rule for them to freely give back the tithe. Leviticus 27.30, this is when it became law. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Again, note the language. It belongs to whom? The Lord, right? Proverbs 3, wisdom literature. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. That's an interesting word we don't hear a lot about, the idea of first fruits. This is the idea that when you had a brand new calf come out, you would give God the best calf, the unblemished calf, the first fruits of your harvest off of your grain or off of your trees. In other words, the first thing you do is you would bring back to God the best and the first of whatever you received. Does that kind of make sense? My wife and I have a running joke where, uh, say, say like I'm cooking up some nachos, and in that house, in my house, that means like 
getting some tortilla chips on a paper plate and like sprinkling shredded cheese on it, putting it in the microwave for 35 seconds, not 40, not 30, 35, right? Putting it in the microwave, letting it cook. You get the salsa on it. You get the sour cream out, right? There's times where I, I, I take that plate out and I can smell the salty, fatty goodness, right? And I'm about ready to chow down and my wife over in the other room will say, hey, can I have your first fruits? What that means is I want the first bite out of your delicious nachos, right? I, and can I tell you, oftentimes I'll give it to her, you know what I mean, and, or say she cracks open a fresh cold Coke Zero, right? The very first sip, there's times where I'm just, out of the goodness of my heart, I will say, would you like my first fruits, right? And I'll give, you, give her the very first sip, which of course is the best, right? <laughs> Why do I do that? Why? And that's, I, some of you are like, that's really weird, Ben. We didn't need to know that, okay? But <laughs> I get it. It's a, weird, it's a nerdy thing. Uh, but why do we do that? We do that out of love for one another, right? Of course you can have my best. You're my wife. You're my spouse. Of course. That's the idea of giving our first fruits back to God. Everything I have is hers, and everything she has is mine, Okay? All right, let's move on. Um, I asked a, a bunch of radiant leaders. I said, hey, could you give me a quote to share on Sunday um, about why you give to your church? So I asked some pastors and I asked some leaders at Radiant. And uh, the first response was this. Why do you give to your church? The first response I got back was, I don't, <laughs> okay? Okay, let me finish the quote. Okay, there's more to it. They said, I don't. I simply return what already belongs to him. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I had you at the first half, right? And I, okay. Uh, they, this is the idea. Of, I, it's not mine. I'm not giving it to God or giving it to the church. I'm just, I'm just bringing back what already belongs to him. I love that. So that's the first idea found in Scripture. We're stewards of God's stuff. It's all his. In the Old Testament, there was this idea of bringing back a portion of that, the best portion to God. But there's another, uh, there's another principle that I want to examine from the Old Testament, and then we'll move on. And that's the idea of giving to communal projects. There's probably a better word for that, but I'm referring to the building of what's called the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God's heart and his desire, his generous heart for his people, was to have a place in which he could dwell and his people could interact with him. And so his idea was to create a tabernacle, which is basically a really large, elaborate tent. Okay? And what's interesting is God didn't decide to just, you know, snap his fingers and erect this tent out of the desert floor. Rather, he went to Moses, the leader at the time, and he said, hey, if my people are willing, if they would like, invite them to bring what they have in order to construct this tabernacle together. Kind of a cool story. And so Moses goes out and he says, hey, Israelites, bring, if, you're a, if you're a smith, do some smithing. If you're uh, if you're good with fabric, I got some fabric work for you. If you're good with stone, we need you, you know, so on and so forth. Basically, if, if you have skills and you have talents, if you have gold, bring the gold. We need that too. Come and we're going to build this tabernacle together with God's blessing in his design. And what did the Israelites do? They actually crushed it this time, right? They didn't mess up, okay? They did good. Exodus 35, I love this passage. Exodus 35, 21. And everyone who was willing, whose heart moved them. I love that language. Don't miss that. Whose heart moved them, came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. Five times in that chapter, in 35, the word willing is used. Catch that? 
2 Corinthians, the New Testament echoes this idea of cheerful giving, right? We've heard this before, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a, what? Cheerful giver. The reason I'm being forthright with my intentions and my goal today is not to manipulate or compel you today, not to convince you to do this. But I love that passage in Exodus, everyone bringing what they have to build this tabernacle, building what they believe God has in store for their people. And then I think if, when I think about reach and what we're trying to accomplish through that, I think this is maybe one of the closest connections we can make in Scripture. Next week, we're literally all going to come and make our pledges. And as a show of, of support and unity together, we're going to say we are coming together for this sort of communal project in order to be a blessing to other people. We're all going to bring something together, hopefully. And so it's, I, I love hearing that story about the tabernacles because I think um, there are parallels with what we're trying to accomplish here at Radiant, trying to be a blessing to those around us. I asked another Radiant leader, why do you give to your church? Here's what they said. We give because we're thankful for all he's done and all he is. God says giving is an indication of the heart. Love that. While not giving wouldn't break our relationship with God, it would muddy the waters, and we don't want anything to come between us and him. Such a good response. Another fill, on, fill in on your worship guide to summarize this. We give in response to what's been given to us. If we have received much from God, and each of us have, we freely and willingly return that back to him the core principle of our Christian faith. And just as a disclaimer, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if I'm a believer, I'm not really a part of the church, um, this message really is geared toward the follower of Christ. And so I encourage you just to sit back and, and hear a little bit about why Christians are so strange when it comes to this thing called generosity, but we're glad that you're here. But we give in response to what's been given to us, okay? That's the Old Testament. There's lots of other different ways of giving in the Old Testament um, we just don't have time for today, okay? You guys with me so far? Deep breath in, deep breath out. We're going to make it, okay? Let's take it to the New Testament. Let's take it to Jesus. Because in true Jesus' style, he takes it up a notch, doesn't he? Turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 12 if you have your Bibles. I absolutely love this story I'm about to share because it's so simple and pure. You could read this story to a child and they would get it. You don't even need to you know, exegete this passage very well um, because it's just so good in its intention. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down the opposite place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So in the first century in Jesus' time, uh, people would bring their offerings to the temple courts in order to give their offerings. Um, this was likely taking place in what was called the Court of Women. There was likely 13 different offering uh, buckets, if you will, shaped in the form of trumpets. And people would come together and they would bring what they had together in this court. And this was interesting. It's different from how we do things now because this was a very communal way of giving. People could see when you were giving and evidently they could at least sort of tell how much you were giving. Maybe it was the coins clinking into the bottom of the metal basin. I don't know, okay? 
but this was a communal way of giving. This is something that's kind of been lost on us Westerners. But I uh, recently revisited some uh, footage of African churches and how they do offering. It's really neat. They were dancing to the front, different church, dancing to the front, and they literally put their money, I think, in the pastor's pocket and then danced away all happy, right? Can you imagine if we tried to do that in our church today? Can you imagine? Like, we wouldn't do that because of, you know, the stigma and all the criticism with church today and all, all of our context. But I thought of that, and I'm like, what a cool way to just proclaim, like, no, we're okay with putting the money in the pastor's pocket because we trust that our pastor is going to put it where it belongs. It's sort of like the antidote to our culture's skepticism and criticism when it comes to church giving. Like, what if? What if we're just like, no, we, we trust that these guys are actually being diligent with our money to see God's kingdom come to fruition as best as they're able. I love it. We're not going to do it, but I like it, okay? Because <laughs> that's awkward, okay? Uh, moving right along, if we could, back to our story with Jesus, uh, verse 43. Back to the story with, with the offering. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. This would have been about 1 64th of a day's wages. In our terms, maybe about two bucks, probably under two bucks that this widow is putting into the offering. Other people are putting in large amounts. It's apparent, evidently, to Jesus and to others. Large amounts are going in. The widow, though, she, she doesn't have much. She only puts in a little. And what does Jesus say? Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. One of my favorite stories in scripture. How good is it? It's just so pure, right? It's simple. Some people are putting in large amounts, probably to be seen by others, maybe not. And what does the widow do? She gives everything she has, even though it is barely anything. And Jesus sees it, and he points it out. And for all time, we now know about this widow's story. How good is that story? What I find interesting, and please don't misconstrue my intentions here, okay? My intention is not to be that televangelist that's trying to manipulate you know, the old widow's last coin out of her. That's not my heart. But I want to say this about this story. What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't try and stop the widow from putting in her last two coins. You ever caught that? Like, Jesus doesn't run to the widow and be like, no, 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 ma'am, ma'am, I see your heart. Well done, sister. Way to go. But take that money. Go pay your bills. It'll be fine. You know what I mean? He doesn't run to her and be like, it's not about religion. It's about relationships. So you're good. You're off the hook, you know save up, you know. He doesn't do that. Isn't that interesting? Like, there's a part of me where I'd be like, lady, you're, you're good. Like, just, <laughs> that's all you have left, right? There's, it doesn't make practical sense is what I'm trying to get at. And yet, Jesus is commending her. Why not stop her? I believe we see Jesus' heart in Matthew chapter 6 when he says these words, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever your treasure wanders off to, 
your heart follows it. That's what Jesus is getting across in these stories, in this story. And evidently, evidently, this widow's heart was with God. Her heart, her whole heart, was with her God. We, as people, we spend money on the things that we care about, do we not? Our money tells a story about the things and the priorities in our life. If, uh, if I were to look at your uh, budget and your expenses and like 80% of it was going to dog food, I'd be like, whoa, that person really loved dogs, right? <laughs> if, uh, if your money was going to things like Netflix or entertainment, that tells us something about your priorities. If it all goes towards investing or whatever it is, that tells a story about the things that you care about. And this widow cared and had a heart for God. It's very practical. I love this quote from author uh, J.K.S. He writes this, At the heart of generosity is a willingness to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And like all things with the kingdom, the principles of giving are upside down. They are contrary to what the world does and teaches. The world tells us, get as much as you can. The kingdom reminds us, we must give it all to gain it all. When we, and we when we fully surrender and humbly submit, there is a freedom unlike anything we have ever experienced. Amen, church? Amen. That author, JKS, um, I didn't want him to get a, a big head, but that's actually Pastor Jason. That's his quote from his book. So, um, and it's good, but it's not that good. You know what I mean? No, just kidding. Just kidding. It's actually from a book uh, that we go through with uh, partnership, and I love that quote. It just speaks to it. My point is this, and write this down. The point is this, a free heart requires a generous hand. A free heart requires that we generously give, freely, abundantly, and sacrificially. That is the heart of the believer. But I get it, there's people out there like Olivia, that, that video we watched, right, where it's like, we fell on hard times and I don't have much to give, and she's worried, and she's like, man, am I even contributing? Is it even worth giving? And, and I understand that, but at least according to Jesus, and at least according to this story, when she gives, she gives more than all the others. Because it's not based on how much we put in, it's based on how little we withhold. You catch that? about the amount we put in. It's about the amount of sacrifice. And we as a church, especially as we're moving into a reach season, we as a church, we, we dream of the day that each of us would have equal sacrifice, knowing that it's not going to mean equal gifts. Each of our pie charts of our budgets and expenses are different, but what would it look like to all sacrifice and give generously to the, to the Lord and to God? That's the story of Jesus in the widow, and it's fantastic. Let's move on. Let's get a little more practical, though, okay? Um, after Jesus came the early church, and they had a lot to say about how to give money as well, and, uh, and we'll go from here. Again, this gets intensely practical for us. Um, Paul, with his churches, he had a ministry that basically they would send money to the persecuted church. These were Jewish Christians who were just suffering uh, because of persecution for their faith. And so Paul organized sort of a ministry where he would take up money and he would give it to them. And this was his instructions to the early church in Corinth. Uh, it's very practical. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul writes, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, 
Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Paul's encouraging his churches as it relates to this, this sort of special ministry where they're taking care of others. He says, hey, set aside a certain amount in proportion to your income, right? This is very similar to the idea of tithing, right? 10% of my income comes in. I immediately return it back to God. Uh, Paul is, is doing a very similar thing here with his churches. He's saying, as it comes in, freely give it back out. We give in proportion to our income. One more uh, radiant leader, I asked, why do you give to your church? This was their response. The money was never mine in the first place. All a gift from God. It's truly a joy to give it back, and especially through a space I know is making kingdom impact in this community I love so dearly. It is biblical and good to give to endeavors that are blessing and helping the needy and communal endeavors like that. That's what Paul is doing here. And you may be here today, and you may be like, okay, I get it, right? Um, God freely gave to us. God's heart is generous towards us. Old Testament giving was a thing. Jesus' day giving was a thing. Um, New Testament, I get it. I get it, we're supposed to give to God. But there may be some of you who are like, okay, but why does that automatically mean, or why should that mean I give to my local church? Right? Like, I can give to God in other ways, but why should I give to the church specifically? And can I just say, that's a really good question. Right? You should be asking that question. Where is that found? Help us with Scripture. And so, um, as we begin to kind of wrap this section up, um, I want to conclude by talking about the really fun and easy topic of paying your pastors. Yay! That's not weird, right? Okay, let's dive right in here to paying your pastors. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. Let's just get through this, shall we? Okay. Um, 1 Timothy, Paul again, he writes this to his protege. 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages, okay? What is Paul talking about when he's talking about an ox treading out its grain? Bottom line, there was these really large threshing floors. They would use oxen to create and to thresh the grain. While the oxen would move and trample out the grain, the oxen would want to eat the grain itself. And what this passage from Deuteronomy is saying is saying, don't stop the ox from eating the grain while it's doing its work. Pretty self-explanatory. It's less likely that it's like a humanitarian thing, like take care of the animal, although it could be that. God likes animals. It's more likely in a, in a case where someone borrows an oxen for their own grain production. And he's saying, if you have a borrowed oxen, let that ox eat. Don't, like, be stingy, okay? But the bottom line that Paul is saying here is, if someone is working, pay them their due. It's a justice issue, right? That's, like, good economics. If you're an employer, you should pay your employees. Unless you're an intern, then you get nothing, okay? Just kidding, okay. Uh, that's a whole other topic. We won't go there, okay? But Paul is making, and, and the, I mean, I don't necessarily appreciate being compared to an oxen here, okay? But that's what Paul's saying. For the instructors and the teachers, like, just, just pay them, okay? Um, 
Galatians chapter 6, another instance we see here, different, uh, different church. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And I think the clearest depiction of why we pay clergy or pastors in our cases, again, it's not an exact one-to-one ratio, but the clearest picture we see is 1 Corinthians 9.14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Okay? Is that kind of clear? Okay? Awkward, I know, right? It's weird for me to stand up here and be like, hey, that money that you give, a big chunk of that goes to me and my salary. Thanks very much. Okay? As a matter of fact, that may be why you haven't really heard these passages preached on before. Maybe it's difficult for pastors to get up here and, and talk through some of this stuff. But again, our goal is to have transparency. Our goal is to remove some of the stigma when it comes to church and money. And what we see in the New Testament is like, like when it comes to the widow's story, giving is intensely spiritual, right? Like our money is connected to our heart, but it's also incredibly practical. It's incredibly practical. People need to get paid and the lights need to be turned on, et cetera, et cetera. When it comes to, um, I, just, I think I can speak for other pastors and I think I can speak for our staff when I just say, look, this, when we read passages like this, we're not like, yeah, those people need to be paying us, right? Please hear our hearts. There's not a day that, I, that doesn't go by, I feel like, where I don't wake up and I'm just like enormously humbled and grateful for what I get to do. And I think Pastor Jason would say the same thing. Like, it is just a blessing to be able to do what I do off the, off the generosity of people giving back to God. It's, it's a wonderful, beautiful picture. And I don't want to lose sight of that. But the reason I think it's so important to bring that up, as awkward as it is, is because I believe it serves as the framework for why I believe giving to your local church, the church that is giving you the gospel, preaching the word to you, why I believe giving to the local church is necessary and good for the Christ follower. Okay? That's my only, that's my only heart. That's why I believe we should give to our church. It's a beautiful thing. Don't muzzle oxen like Jason, is what I'm trying to say, okay? All right. <laughs> Bottom line, when it comes to everything I just shared, from stewardship in Genesis, tithing in the Old Testament, communal projects like the tabernacle, to Jesus' time where the widow gives all that she has, to paying your pastors in church, when I summarize all of it, let me just say this on the whole. We are called to return what belongs to God by generously investing in his kingdom priorities. Amen? By generously investing in his kingdom priorities. I want to get even more practical for just a second, if we could, as we start to wrap up. Even more practical. The question uh, a lot of us sometimes, maybe it's on your mind, maybe it's not. The question is, okay, Ben, but do you, do you give to your church? Do the pastors give back to the church? And the answer to that is, yes, yes, we do. Um, this is a pie chart from uh, my wife and I's expenses from 2022. This is expenditures, okay? Um, and so you'll see kind of like our, our greatest expenses was our home expenses, mortgage, et cetera. But our second uh, greatest chunk of expenses is giving and gifts and donations, tithes, offerings, uh, that sort of thing. And so people ask, like, do you, do you guys tithe? I would say, yeah, like Pastor Jason and I, we believe in the art and principle of tithing, but not just tithing, even, even beyond that as well. 
And I, I share all that, again, even though it may be weird, and, and I actually share it at risk that I would be receiving my word from y'all and not from God. And, and please hear me, my goal is not to be like, yay me. In fact, I have goals to increase that, that, that section of the pie chart. Um, and you can, you can take that off the screen. But my, my goal in sharing that is to say, look, we're all in this together, right? Transparency. Remove the stigma. That's uncomfortable for me to share that, right? This is the Venmo situation all over again a little bit, right? Um, but I think we need to. I think we just need to share openly and honestly about some of this stuff. Why? Because we're a body. We're a community. We're a family in Christ. And we're all in this together. But Ben, isn't giving to your church just like self-serving? <laughs> like, don't they pay you? Isn't that just like you're giving to the place that pays? And then my answer is, yeah, it is self-serving, right? But my question to you, you know, my question to you is, have you been served by your church at all? Have you been served by your church? And is it not, if you want to put it in those terms, is it not all of, all of us a little self-serving to give to the organization or give to the body that feeds us with God's truth in fellowship and community and good deeds? But the question remains, how much should I give? And I'm not going to give you a specific answer to that question because Scripture says each of you should give however much you determine to give. But I do like C.S. Lewis's quote that I'll share with you today. He writes, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditures excludes them. In other words, giving should hurt a little bit. It should sting a little bit. There should be things, that trip that we want to take, that we say, look, I don't think we can do it this year because we got to give our first back to God. we got to return it to Him first. And so maybe a question as you're processing through reach and you're processing maybe this conversation is brand new to you, maybe, maybe you start with the question when it comes to how much you should give. Maybe you start by asking the question, how much would hurt? Like how much would sting? And then the second thing is, if you find that you're able to cheerfully give that amount, then by all means, go for it. Not under compulsion. It's not a guilt trip. There's no guilt here. This is all invitational, okay? But how much would hurt? Because that tells you that it's sacrificial. Again, it's not about how much we put in. It's about how much we withhold. Hear my heart on this. It's about our hearts being connected with God. We are a generous people because the Father's heart is generous. For God so loved the world that he gave. For Jesus so loved us that he willingly laid down everything, his whole life, out of love for us. That is the Father's heart. Sacrificial generosity is a cheerful discipline, proving our trust in God. In fact, all of following Christ is sacrificial discipline. 
cheerful discipline. And I get it. There may be all sorts of objections. Maybe you're saving up for something or you have long-term financial goals or maybe you're saying to yourself, look, I've worked hard for my wealth. I've been burned by the church and I get it. I get it. And don't, you don't have to give to the church. Find a way, though, to give cheerfully to God. Even if it means pouring out expensive perfume on his feet. Whatever that looks like for you. Do I believe that can be done by giving to your church? You bet. I think it's biblical. I think it's good. But find a way to do it on your own. It's all invitational today. To give is to step back into our calling as stewards of God's stuff. It's to prove with our actions that we trust in God for our daily bread. To give is to place Jesus as Lord over our finances as proof that he, has, he is Lord over our lives. Whether it's two small coins or a jar of expensive perfume, it is not about the size of the gift. It is about the sacrifice. And so when it comes to this topic of biblical giving, I just want to remind us to sum it all up, that tithing 10%, your first fruits is biblical because it all belongs to God anyway. Giving to a communal endeavor like a tabernacle is biblical. In fact, it's required to advance the vision of the kingdom. Giving literally all you own if you're rich is biblical. And giving all that you own to God if you're poor is biblical. In fact, God says that you've given more than everyone else. Giving to those in need is biblical. And giving to the family inside and outside of the church is biblical. Giving a percentage of your income is biblical. Giving to pay your pastors via your church is biblical and it is our joy to share in God's word with you. And finally, giving directly to God in whatever creative way you can imagine is biblical. My point is this. As God's people, give. Give. And give some more. Be generous in your heart as the Father's heart is generous towards us. Give sacrificially. Give secretly. And give with a smile in order to honor the Lord with your wealth. Because the Father was generous with us. And if you're here today and you're someone like Olivia, and you're saying, I want to give, but all I have is just like two dollars and you're worried because you're like can I even make a dent in this thing called reach is it even really worth even giving that amount and I just want to say if, if you should choose to give and you're in that circumstance I just want to remind you of the simple truth that Jesus sees you Jesus sees you that's what matters most God sees your heart I think he's honored by that gift. I close with a hymn from 1924. The chorus goes like this. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Amen.